multitude of them, and he sent them to Jesus to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So in verse 20, the men came to Jesus, as good messengers would, they repeat the message. John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Verse 21, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blesses anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Verse 24, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Referring to Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And Luke goes on to note, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right, because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves, because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say in verse 31, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For verse 33, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. And so Jesus, his, his miracles are, are getting greater. He's building this momentum, but this critical juncture in his ministry occurs here uh, in Luke chapter 7. Uh, John, his forerunner, John the Baptist, uh, who, who, had, who had so much belief and so much faith in Jesus uh, that he's quoted as saying that like John 3, verse uh, 33, that I must become lesser, he must become greater, because some of the Jews thought maybe John himself. Uh, was the Messiah, but the John now is faltering in his faith. Um, and, and, and so it's quite an interesting picture uh, that even a spiritual giant like John the Baptist started to doubt a little bit as to whether Jesus really was who he said he was. Uh, it's quite clear that earlier he, he got who Jesus was, but as time is going on, he he's, he's has a little bit of hesitation here based on what the passage seems uh, to be indicating. And so even a spiritual giant can struggle uh, in, their, in their faith in Jesus. And, and so the title of the sermon is, is very simply from this passage, Stay Low or Grow. Stay Low or Grow. Um, and the first point here, uh, is just three questions here uh, this afternoon. Um, the first point is, is my faith clear or blurry? Is my faith clear or blurry? You know, we all have low times in our faith. And perhaps, and again, we'll read into it, perhaps this is one of those low times uh, in John the Baptist's faith. Uh, with his relationship uh, with Jesus as the forerunner. Um, his faith seems a little bit blurry uh, from what we can see here uh, in this passage. I say this because, as was mentioned in Luke chapter 3, we already read a while back, uh, John was put in prison by Herod for calling him out on his adulterous relationship. Um, and so it, it, it's quite clear uh, that John now can't come, so he sends these messengers uh, to communicate with, you know, with Jesus because he's in prison. If you've ever seen an ancient prison, uh, I was in Rome recently on holiday, and you're able to go to 
2 Timothy from. It's right next to the Roman Forum. Uh, but these prisons are they're bleak. There's a little hole there, a little bit of a tree. And so you can imagine, after a while of being in prison, John's had a tough time. Uh, when you see one of these ancient prisons. Um, and, and so John perhaps is struggling you know, in his faith. But we know, if we go back to the Gospels, that he had a lot of faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, you can turn there in Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 15 through 18. He talks, you know, he talks about Jesus. Because they think maybe he's the Messiah. He says, no, 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 I baptize you with water. In Luke 3, verses 15 through 18. But the one who is more powerful than I will come, the strength of whose sins I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John says, no, 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 don't be mistaken. The Messiah, he's about to come. Uh, the parallel uh, gospel account in John has John saying the same exact thing. And then in chapter 1, verse 35, he's with two of his disciples. And he says, as Jesus passes by, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And again, in chapter 3 of John's Gospel, in verse 26, um, Jesus is, is baptizing uh, in another place where John, uh, John is not baptizing, and his, and his disciples are struggling with that concept. And, and, and they say um, to John, Rabbi, in John 3, verse 26, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. And John goes on to make it very clear that, no, this is right, this is the Messiah. And in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 30, he says, He must become greater, referring to Jesus. I must become less. So earlier on in John's ministry, it was very clear to him uh, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. But here in chapter 7, we read that it's, it's getting a little fuzzy for him. And so he sends these two messengers uh, to find out uh, what exactly is going on. Perhaps some of it was John's theology. Perhaps he's looking for a conquering king, uh, much like many of the Jews were, rather than a suffering servant. Um, as the Messiah. And so, again, we can be critical of John here, but really we, we can relate in some sense to John. Uh, that sometimes we have low times in our faith, right? Where we, where we doubt God, and it makes us falter uh, and ask questions that we ought not to ask. But again, God is gracious. God is merciful in our doubts and our struggles. Uh, and Jesus here didn't say, hold up, mate. Do you remember what you said about me earlier? Why, why are you wavering in your faith? No, was John, was Jesus telling his messengers to bring back to him in verse 22. He says, go back, go back. Go back and report all that you have, all that you see, all that you see and hear. The deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, and even the dead are being raised from the grave. So Jesus says, you know, look at what you can see and hear. You know, God has provided all the evidence that you need to believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And so Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus ends this time in verse twenty-three here. He says, "Blessed is anyone who does not stumble." On account of me. That uh, Greek word there for stumble, uh, literally, it, it, it could be rendered as blessed anyone who doesn't have a negative reaction on account of me. And, and so, so what is happening here is that sometimes God, or well, I should say oftentimes God, doesn't work the way we think he's supposed to work. He doesn't do what we think he's supposed to do. And that's what John is struggling with. Perhaps this is not the picture at this point. He's about to lose his head in jail. And, and there was
and asks him, you know, to, to heal him. And it says that, you know, Jesus, he spits on the man's eyes and, and puts his hands on him. Again, that's not probably what the guy thought was going to happen, that he would be spat upon before he was going to be healed. But again, God doesn't often work the way we think he's going to work. And then Jesus says, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, and they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And I think a lot of times as Christians, speaking of the Christians in the room, you know, we sometimes need Jesus to touch our hearts again when it comes to our faith. We sometimes, if we get that touch, we see it, it's clear, but then we lose it somehow. We get discouraged. We lose track of that, that clear faith. And we need to come back to Jesus and be touched by him again to get that clear faith again in our lives. You know, we shouldn't be seeing people, but we're seeing trees, spiritually speaking. And John is in one of those stages, the Baptist, you know, here in Luke chapter 7. And, and we, too, are going to have to go through those struggles sometimes to get who God really is and to see God more clearly in our lives as well. And if you're visiting with us, perhaps you, perhaps you need to first encounter Jesus to see clearly and have a saving faith in Him. And we as a church would love to help you uh, to see Jesus clearly. Please please let us know how we can do that uh, in your life if you're visiting with us uh, today. But you, you've come across a group of people who are honest about their struggle to have real faith. Uh, but we're going to continue to seek it uh, through our connection with Jesus. And John is told, your faith can be fixed by simply seeing what Jesus is doing and hearing about it. Amen. We can't see it today, but we get to hear about it when we open up the Gospels. And so our low points of faith can turn to growth points when we're open and give them to Christ. You know, John the Baptist here, the blind man, they persevered and found greater faith in the end. We must give these blurry things to Jesus. Bring them to Him, and even bring them to Him again and again and again. And Jesus can help our blurry faith to become more clear. So are you, is your faith blurry or clear uh, this afternoon? Uh, and second here, are you fired or flat? Are you fired up or flat? We'll get there. There it is. Are you fired up or flat? You know, Jesus now, you know, he, he sends these messengers back with, with, with all, all the evidence, that apparently in prison, that John needed to trust and know that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, just seeing and hearing what he was doing. So then he goes on in verse 24, after John's messengers left, he begins to speak to the crowd about John. He says, okay, John's back on the scene here through these messages. Let's talk a little bit about John the Baptist. And so he challenges that current generation on John the Baptist because many of them believed in what John was saying and were baptized in the Jordan River. And many of them did not believe, you know, that Jesus, that John was who he said he was and were not baptized by John in the Jordan River. Uh, and so Jesus says, what, what did you go out to see? Three times in this passage, three times, he says to the crowd, what did you go out to see? Uh, in verses 24 uh, to 26, three times he asked them this, this question, right? John got everyone's attention in Israel. Everyone had heard about him. Everyone had gone out to see what he was doing out in the Jordan River in the wilderness. And, and Jesus says, you didn't go out there, right? You didn't go out because of the location. You didn't go out to see a, you know, a reed swayed by the wind in verse 24. You didn't go out to see a man dressed in verse 25 in fine clothes. We know John wore he wore a camel's hair shirt with a, with a leather belt, right? He, just, he didn't go out to see any of those things. It wasn't about his location. It wasn't about his look. No, it was about his passion. It was about his conviction, right? It was him being a prophet. That's what drew uh, the crowds and all of Israel at that point to go out and listen to what John was saying. And it's a great reminder. People are drawn to God, sometimes first 
about other people's passions about God. John had this passion about God that drew the Jews toward this idea that the Messiah was coming. And so as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, do people see our passion for Jesus, and does it make God more attractive? Uh, there's a famous uh, British preacher back in the day, George Whitefield, I'm sure a lot of you maybe know of him, and he was known for having great, great impact through his sermons. And he belonged in London, and there's a story of, of a guy who really was a strong Christian back then, and, and was walking around George Whitefield's revivals, and he's getting ready to walk into the meeting, and he sees one of his atheist co-workers walking in the same direction, and he goes, what are you doing here? I didn't believe, I don't think you believe in God. And the man says, I don't, but George Whitefield does, and he walks on into the room. And there's just something about a man or woman who really has passion for God that makes all of humanity question what they really believe about God and is this really true. And John certainly, for the Jews, was one of those people. And Jesus, he affirms, he affirms John, despite John's wavering here earlier, Jesus affirms John, right? Uh, in verse uh, 26, he says, John was a prophet. He was more than a prophet. He had fulfilled prophecy, and he talks about the prophecy in Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 1, as it goes on to record it uh, in verse 27. And then in verse 28, in verse 28, it goes on to say, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. That's quite a compliment from the Lord himself there for John, uh, the Baptist, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, whoever. He says, no, no one at this point was greater than John. But then what's blow is it goes on in verse 28. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That, that, that's something, as Christians, we should take a step back and really think about. Here's John. He's so fired up. He's out there in the desert, you know, honey drinking off his beard, wearing camel's hair, preaching, baptizing in the Jordan. All of this is stirred by this crazy guy. And he's saying, it's not about me. It's all about this guy coming. That's all he does. And then Jesus shows up. He's crucified. He's raised on the third day, as the Gospels make clear. And now, you know, in Acts 2, this new covenant ushers in. And Jesus says, as great as says John is, he says, anybody who enters into this new covenant is even greater than John the Baptist. So should we have more or less zeal than John? The answer is obvious. It's more. And yet most of us think, whoa, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to make it to work tomorrow. You know, wow, this is, this is challenging. But again, it's because we don't get it. What we have, John got who Jesus was, and it fired him up. And if we get what we have in the new covenant, we'll be fired up too. Peter talks about it another way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, referring to this new covenant, he says, This salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently. And with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointed when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Now this is Peter talking to the church and us today. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. And so, and so Jesus is saying, all the prophets here in Luke 7, they've been jealous of what you and I have. John the Baptist would have loved. He would have longed for. He would have ate that up if he didn't have what you and I had. He couldn't have it. He was under the old covenant. And even angels, celestial beings, Peter says here, they would love to have what you and I have. They, they just want to be able to look into it a little bit more. I don't know if 
And so are we fired up or flat? It's one or the other. There's no in-between when you really get what we have as Christians. But we love that middle ground, don't we? We're very comfortable there. But is that really based on what God has given us and what God has called us to? Or is that just based on the environment? Or is that just based on society? We've got to really ask ourselves these questions. It's, it's challenging. Uh, yet inspiring at the same time. Because if John could be that fired up under the Old Covenant... We can indeed have this kind of fire as well under the new. So just, just two quick insights here, because I know we all want to be. We all want to be the people that the Bible calls us to be. Um, you know, how do we get more fired up? Uh, I think I think if I show, took a show of hands, you know, I don't think anyone is here to be more flat in their faith today. I'm assuming everyone's here because they want more, more excitement, more zeal in their life uh, for God, and, and more of a joy about heaven that is coming. Uh, so I have two quick insights from John, since John is so fired up. That can help us even under the new covenant today. I think the first is we just gotta get who Jesus is. We just simply have to get Jesus. Right? John, John 7, 3, verse 30, he must become greater as he's losing disciples of Jesus. I must become lesser. He got it, right? Oftentimes, as Christians, we make it the other way. I must become greater. And he or the church or even Jesus himself must become lesser. It's all about you know, it's the personal trinity. Me, myself, and I, rather than the Holy Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so we wonder why our zeal is gone. Why we're coming to church, we're not really that excited about this. We've lost our sight of our Savior. We've lost our, our, our zest of the Holy Spirit. Because we're too focused on ourselves. we just got to get the focus back on Jesus. That gave John great zeal. And Jesus says here in Luke 7, that's all John needs to have enough faith to stay in prison and be faithful. It's just to see what Jesus is doing. I think the other thing here that's obvious from John's ministry uh, is, is we got to get sin. we got to see sin for what it is. We've got to stand against sin. We've got to call sin, sin. That's what John did. That's what his ministry was about. It was a baptism of repentance. Right? In Luke 3, 7 through 9, as the crowd, the crowd The first thing out of his mouth is, you brood of vipers. Wow, that's a great welcome. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And we could go on. It was a message of repentance. And of course, right after that, John's going to be arrested for his stance against Herod's sin. Uh, came across a great book on a, a Scottish reformer uh, called John, John Knox. You may have heard of John Knox, you may not. The church he preached in Edinburgh is still there to this day. Um, but John Knox is an interesting character in the Reformation uh, from the 1600s, but he really led, led a huge Reformation in Scotland more than anywhere, but he had great impact and uh, he was contemporary with John Calvin and his Wingley and all those other guys. But, but anyway, he was mostly known for his, his war against Queen Mary, uh, who, you know, who was, the, who was the, you know, the British Queen, and she was very Catholic, and, and he was very much against a lot of things the Catholic Church was teaching. Uh, and one of the things that's so radical about John Knox is, is he would call, back then the clergy had a lot of access to politicians and kings and queens. And so he believed because when the Old Testament, when the Old Testament kings were bad, the Old Testament would challenge them and call them out of their sin. So he believed based on that pattern, if Queen Mary's in sin, I'm going to call her out. Preachers didn't used to do that. So he's one of the first to do that. Uh, and, and, he, and he nearly lost his head several times because of that kind of a stance. Um, but it's interesting, this quote, he says, he says, True it is, God has commanded kings to be obeyed. But likewise, true it is, that in things which they commit against his glory, he has commanded no obedience. 
Uh, and they say that Knox is actually probably one of the one of the great contributors to modern day democracy. Because he's one of the first people to stand up against a corrupt king or queen and say, hey, based on the word of God, sin is sin, I'm calling you out. And I think it's such a great reminder as we live in this great democracy, you know, of the UK today that, that calling out sin is not a bad thing. It's actually quite good. I know it's painful. Personally, when someone challenges me on my sin, I know it's painful if I challenge you, but it's a good thing. Sin destroys everything good that life has to offer. Sin is, is the enemy of all that is good in this life. And sometimes we're not fired up, right? Sometimes we're not fired up because we're not seeing Jesus. Other times we're not fired up because we just have lost our edge against sin. We've lost it in our own lives because sin dulls us toward God. It, dull, it pushes out the Holy Spirit. Or we've just lost it as a church. And so John, I think, is a great example of how to, how to find fire we've lost or how to be even more fired up if we have it. It's to understand who Jesus is and to call sin, sin. Uh, and so... Two questions here. One final question to close our time. Are you excusing or changing? Is your faith clear or blurry today? Are you fired up or flat? And third and final here, are you excusing or changing? Now Jesus, he's not done. He continues to challenge uh, the crowd here uh, in verses 31 to 35. He goes on to say, what, what, what can I compare the people of this generation? He, he's going after them. What are they like? Another insult, I think. They are like children. Sit in the marketplace and call them out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. Uh, and then he goes on to say, you know, John came either eating bread or drinking wine. He's very holy. Yet you say he is a demon. The son of man referred to himself in verse 34 came eating and drinking. But you say, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors uh, and sinners. Um, this has been called, uh, you know, uh, by Jesus, uh, sometimes the parable of the brats. The parable of the brats. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus said this generation is like kids in a marketplace. Children would play games as they do imaginary games. And some of those games back then were, they would play, they would pretend to play a flute, and, and the kids would then dance based on that, and that was reenacting a wedding, a wedding ceremony. Uh, or they would do the opposite, they would play, sing a dirge. Um, not, not play a pipe, sing a dirge, and, and, and they, they would cry, and it was a, a funeral procession. And so kids would play these games. And so, and, and so, but what's interesting, he says, you're like kids who, who are supposed to play these games, but you're not. You, in other words, you're just not happy. You, you don't want to play that game. You don't want to play a wedding game. You don't want to play a funeral game. You just want to sit there and pout. You're, you're like a kid who just doesn't want to play any games at all. That's what he's comparing this generation to. Because he says, John Cain... And he wasn't, he wasn't drinking alcohol, he was fasting, he was radical. And he said, oh, he's got a demon, I, I'm just missing him. And then I come, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm with all the people who really need to hear the message of God, and you're, you're trying to say I'm a drunkard and a tax collector and a sinner. You know, in other words, you're being spiritual brats. You're just being spiritual brats. The parable of the brats. And so Jesus says, the, the, issue, the issue is not really the messengers. You just don't want to hear the message. That's the real issue. Today we, we can understand this, right? Churches, we can struggle with being spiritual brats. Well, if I just had this leader or that leader, then I'd want to be part of this thing. Well, if I just had this relationship or that relationship, then I'd be more, more so out for God. Well, if I was just in this family group, not that family group, or if I just had a ministry that I really love, then I'd be excited for God in this kingdom. And we sound, we sound that's a modern day analogy, of the same thing. Right? Being spiritual brats. The church will never be all we want it to be. It's never going to be all we want it to be. We need to work on that. We need to go after that. But it's never going to get 
it's always there. Hey, just 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 start in with me. If you want to find some excuses to not be frightened about God, just hang out with me for a while and you'll find enough. Yeah. To have a bad attitude toward God somehow, some way. Because I fall short. But too much, too little of whatever really is an indication of our heart that we're missing the whole point. And that's what Jesus is challenging this generation on. You're missing the whole point. God is speaking, God is working, and you can't even see it because you're too busy to throw a little spiritual fit over there in the corner. And so, and so it's a challenge for us. When the church is challenged, which at times it is, you know, are, are, are we going to be that spiritual breath? Are we going to be the change we want to see in the church? And that's what Jesus called them to. He said, hey, accept, accept that God is calling you and change. But you're refusing to do just that. Am I making excuses? Or am I trying to glean truth from God and keep changing and keep growing? You know, one approach allows God's grace to change us. Because we need, God, we need God's grace to be able to change when we fall short. That's the approach I think Jesus, uh, through John here, has called us to. But another approach allows us to stay where we're at. And we don't change and no one else changes either. Are you excusing or changing? Sorry, I forgot that slide. <laughs> I'm terrible to write that down. You know, if you're visiting with us today, I'm very thankful that you're here with us. Um, if it's your first time or, or, or your sixth time, uh, please keep coming. Uh, and, and I hope you can realize that you've come across people that, that are not perfect. we got imperfections, we've got struggles, we've got challenges, uh, and, and we don't want to point you to us. We want to point you to Jesus. Amen. We believe only one man lived a life that was worthy of God, and it was him. Uh, and we would love to, to open up the Bible with you and share with you uh, how, how you can become lesser. But in that, in that denying of yourself and rejecting, rejecting of yourself, you can actually find real life. And you can actually find true life. Uh, we want to help you to follow a perfect and amazing Savior. That, that is our hope. And that is our strength as a church. And church, you know, are we fighting for our faith? How is your faith these days? We cannot tolerate faithlessness anymore in our lives. It's sin. It's sin. Are we fighting for our faith? Are we fighting for our zeal? It shouldn't take, you know, the third call of worship song to get fired about worshiping God. It shouldn't take, you know, a good spiritual kick in the rear to, to want to do good things for God. It should, it should just come from the fact that we are in this great new covenant by the blood of Jesus. And are we fighting for our repentance? Or is it just psycho battle about our sin? Self, self-help. When it comes to our sin, or is it really repentance? Repentance about our sin. Jesus can help us when we are low to grow. And amen for that. Let's not forget, as it says in verse 22, let's not forget of what we have seen and heard in Christ. And the Burman Church of Christ said, Amen. amen. Thank you for us. Uh, please let's stand for a final song. In heaven. Home in heaven. <laughs>